You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. So, Pastor Capace asked me if I would preach the second message in our Advent series. This series is called Jesus the Magnificent One. Next year, our theme is uh, It's All About Jesus in 2024. And we decided it would be good if we used December, which Christmas is a great time to do this, to talk about Jesus, to get us excited, to get us to look forward to our theme next year, where we're fully and completely focused on Jesus. And Pastor Capese asked me if I would speak from Isaiah 9-6, where it talks about this child that would be born would be the wonderful counselor. He asked me to speak on counsel and wisdom. And I'm going to be honest, when he asked me, I felt very inadequate. Um, I'm one of the youngest members on staff here. I don't have a whole lot of life experience. Even as I look out at this congregation, I see a lot of people who I would trust for wisdom over myself. I was very humbled and, and a little, a little just didn't feel confident about speaking on wisdom. So I went home to my wife, and I was talking to her about it and expressing that, like, I don't know if I'm the guy who should speak on wisdom. And she so kindly, so graciously, how, how do y'all know this is a joke? How can, y'all, how can y'all already tell? She so kindly and so graciously reminded me that I've got a lot of gray hair for 28. And I said, yeah, thanks, babe. I, thanks for reminding me. Maybe some of those Gray hairs are connected to some kind of wisdom going on in my brain. I have no idea. Maybe, maybe not. Um, But I I did start to think about it. I got to thinking about it. And I was like, you know, I was born in the 1900s. For those who are my age or older, it would just be the 90s. But for those younger than me, it's the 1900s. I made it into a new millennium. That's got to count for something, right? But I also got to thinking, and I am a Cowboys fan, and that's not very wise. So I don't, still don't know if I'm the right person to bring this message. Either way, the good news is, whether I'm speaking, whether anyone else is speaking, the wisdom that you hear is not man's wisdom. Any wisdom that, that comes across to you is not my wisdom. It's the wisdom of God through his word. This is where we find our wisdom. This is where we're going to search today. For our wisdom. I started to think about wisdom. I started to think about the idea of wisdom. And you know, there's so much wisdom out in this world. There's so much wisdom around us. There's so many different voices and influences and counselors and ideas, so many different philosophies and ways that we can live our lives. There's so many books out there. I mean, you think about the books and books and books that have been written that contain wisdom, that contain great information. You think about all the articles that have been written in magazines and newspapers, on, on, on websites, all the articles that contain wisdom, all the podcasts, which honestly, there are too many podcasts. Too many people have podcasts. I'm just going to say it. Anyway, still, there's so many ways that we can gain wisdom. TED Talks, lectures, seminars. Wisdom is all around us. It's everywhere. Yet isn't it crazy how the wisest people we know are still searching for wisdom. <laughs> the wisest people I know, when I ask them for wisdom, they'll say, I, I don't have all the answers. I don't, I, I, I'm still learning. I'm still searching for wisdom. How is it in a world that is so full of wisdom, so full of influence, so full of information, how is it that we can still somehow be without wisdom? Not only this, but when we think of the wisdom that guides our lives and leads our lives, when we think about having wisdom for the decisions that we have to make and searching for that wisdom, where do we even go? Where do we, where do we begin to search for that wisdom? When it comes to making decisions, how in the world do we start to make that decision? We find ourselves in a place full of wisdom yet still lacking wisdom. This is what the children of Israel felt. 
This was their experience. They had voices and counselors and wisdom from nations all around them. Yet they still found themselves in chaos. They still found themselves in darkness. They still found themselves in disorder, in need of wisdom, in need of counsel. I want to take us on this journey. I want us to look, to, to, to go through this story together of the children of Israel and how they got to where they, to where they were in Isaiah 9-6. If you'll remember, God called Jacob. He chose Jacob. He changed his name to Israel. And he said, the descendants of Israel, I'm going to use them to bless the world. God had chosen the people of Israel to bear his image, to have relationship with God, and to call the world into relationship with God. They were to represent God to the world. This was their purpose. But as the story continues, as the story goes along, they begin to drift away from that purpose. They begin to drift away from their identity. They begin to listen to the gods of these other nations. They begin to listen to the wisdom of these other nations. As they were looking at these nations around them, they noticed something, that these people have something that we don't. They have a king. They have a person who is leading them and guiding them, who is giving them wisdom, and we don't have that. These people who were supposed to be in relationship with God and bear the image of God, they now want to be led by a human. So they go to God and they say, God, give us a king so that we can be like these other nations. And God, in his infinite wisdom and his wonderful grace, he gives them a king. And the purpose of this king is that this king would show them what it's like to bear the image of God. That this king would lead them and guide them in the wisdom of God. That this king would represent God to the people so that the people could represent God to the world. The king was to be part of this restoration of the image of God, of the people of God. So as these kings start to rule, as they start to lead the children of Israel, they slowly begin to fall away from their purpose. They begin to allow themselves to be influenced by the gods of these other nations. They create for themselves idols and temples for these other gods, and they, and they worship these other gods instead of Yahweh alone. But also in their own social lives, in their own communities, as they listened to these other wisdoms, it led them away from their purpose, and it led them into injustice. It led them into oppression. The kings would build themselves up in their wealth and in their power at the expense of the poor. The wealthy would boast in who they are and and keep all their possessions to themselves while letting the hungry starve. The people who needed help were not getting help. The widows were being neglected. The orphans were being forsaken. The people had completely turned away from who God called them to be. And the kings were leading them in doing so. Not only did they fail to fulfill their purpose, but they conformed to the image of unrighteousness that was around them. This is when God sends them the prophets. Isaiah was one of those prophets. The book of Isaiah is a book of prophecy. This should be, there we go. When we think of prophecy, it's often that we think about foretelling the future or predicting future events or something that's way off in the distance. Or if you're a little bit childish like me, you might think of the movie Kung Fu Panda. And I know a wisdom, a, a sermon on wisdom is not off to a good start when we're talking about Kung Fu Panda. I realize that. I get that. But bear with me. We might get this idea of 
that prophecy is just this far off information, this far off thing in the future. But the basic idea, the general idea, the heart behind prophecy is that it was a word from God to his people. This was how God communicated what he wanted to say. It was through these prophecies. It was through the prophets. All of these prophecies had an immediate understanding. As these prophecies were proclaimed, the people that were listening, they they had a specific meaning to them in their time. They looked at the world around them. They looked at the current events that were happening. And they associated these words, these prophecies, these messages with what was happening in their time. It meant, it meant something to them. But they also carried undertones. They also carried pictures and patterns of promises that were to come. They served to lead and to guide the people in this day, but they also point to something even greater than they could imagine. And the purpose of these prophecies was to expose the sin in the hearts of the people of God. To show them how they have turned from their purpose, how they have rebelled against God. And it was to call them back to their purpose. It was to call them back to a life of meaning. It was to call them back to bear the image of God and to represent God to the world. So as Isaiah steps on the scene, Israel finds itself so far away from its purpose. The nation of Israel was actually divided into two kingdoms. And there's a map on the screen. That was awesome. I feel like a YouTuber. Subscribe. Um, that was great. Compliments. It's, I want to make sure that you get complimented. Great job. Um, Israel found itself divided into two nations. Because the children of Israel drifted away from their purpose, their nation began to separate we have the, the northern kingdom, which is Israel, and we have the southern kingdom, which is Judah. The capital, Jerusalem, was located in Judah. See, the northern kingdom of Israel had turned from, turned from following Yahweh. They had, they, had followed, they, they had turned to following the gods and the counsel and the wisdom of the world around them. And Judah was not too far behind. So Isaiah brings this message to Judah, to Judah to encourage them to call out the sin, to call out the problems, to call out the issues, and call them to return to God. But also at this time, there was another threat. There was another threat to these people. There was the nation of Assyria. And you see that at the top right. Assyria was the big dog. They were the powerhouse. They were the kingdom. They were the big empire at this time. They were quickly expanding and growing at the expense of these other nations. They were plundering and and taking advantage and taking over these other nations, and their empire was growing. So the northern kingdom of Israel saw that this was an issue, and it scared them. So they partnered with the nation of Aram, which is right above Israel. So they partnered together, and they said, let's combine our militaries, let's combine our efforts, let's combine our wisdom, and let's protect ourselves from the Assyrians. So they go down to Judah and they say, hey, join us. Join us. Uh, ally with us. Partner with us. And Judah refuses. Judah doesn't. So Israel and Aram say, okay, if you want to play that game, you'll partner with us or you'll partner with us. They decide to declare war on Judah. They're going to go into Judah. They're going to, they're going to take over the capital city. They're going to set up their own king. They're going to make Judah part of their own kingdom. It was in the midst of this, in the midst of war, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of confusion, that Isaiah steps onto the scene. And Isaiah declares this message in Isaiah 9. God sends Isaiah to the king of Judah, to King Ahaz. God sends Isaiah to to King Ahaz to declare this message that God will protect you. That God will protect the children of of Israel in the nation of Judah. He won't let these other nations, he won't let Israel and Aram overtake you, but he will protect you if you will just trust 
in him. So here we have the dilemma. Here we have the big question that we will, that we will ask for the rest of this sermon. Would Ahaz trust in the wisdom of God? Or would he trust in the wisdom of man? Would he trust, would he follow the ways of Yahweh? Would he trust that God could protect him, that God would protect him? Or would he seek help? Would he seek aid? Would he seek the wisdom of man? It's in the midst of this war and confusion and darkness that Isaiah is trying to inspire Ahaz and the people of Judah with this message. Isaiah 9 verse 1 says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. God would protect his people. Though they walk in darkness, God would deliver them into the light if they would just trust in him. And here we see this glorious This wonderful passage, this beautiful promise that God gives to King Ahaz, that he gives to the people of Judah. In verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In this message, we see that God was promising to send a child who would deliver his people and establish his kingdom. In the chapters leading up to this, Isaiah uses the theme. He uses a child as the theme, as as this illustration, as this this way of explaining and communicating the promise of God. That, That these children, these physical children will be born, and as the people saw these children, they would be reminded that God would protect them, that God's presence was with them that God wouldn't abandon them, that he wouldn't leave them, but that he would fulfill his promise. He would protect his people by judging the evil and reconciling the oppressed, reconciling the righteous ones. This child would bring the presence of God, would be a sign that God was with them. This child would also bear the very nature of God. As Isaiah writes these names, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the the Hebrew reader, the children of Israel, would have associated these names with Yahweh. They would have associated these descriptions and these names with with God. The wonderful counselor. This Hebrew word for wonderful, the way it's also, most of the time that it's used in the Old Testament, it's describing this supernatural, this mind-boggling, this marvelous work of God that just can't be explained which is what we talked about last, last week. This, 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 that Jesus is beyond our comprehension. This child that God promised would be that, would, be, would blow their minds like Yahweh did. He would have mind-boggling wisdom. He would be the mighty God. He would be God Almighty, the strength that would protect them and fight for them. He would be the everlasting Father caring for his people, providing for his people, protecting his people. He would be the prince of peace who would step into the chaos, who would step into the confusion 
and bring peace. This child would be a king who would reign forever. This is a continuation of the promise that God made to King David years and years and years before this. God made a covenant with him. He promised him that from the descendant of David, a descendant of David from the line of David would come one who would reign on his throne with justice, with righteousness, with mercy forever. And here God is reminding them of that. He's saying, I've not forgotten that promise and I will fulfill that promise. There will come a king who will sit on this throne and will rule perfectly in peace forever. You see, when Israel would fail to bear the image of God, when they would walk away from relation with God, when they would no longer represent God to the world, they needed a king who would come to them. They needed a king who would remind them of the promise of God. They needed a king who would restore them to their purpose and their identity and lead them in relationship with God and in representing God. Would Ahaz be that king? Would Ahaz pick up the mantle? Would he fulfill the purpose? Would he be the king that Israel needed? Would he listen to the wisdom of God? Or would he listen to the wisdom of man? Isaiah assured him, God will protect you if you just trust in him. Will he trust in God? Or will he trust in humanity? Unfortunately, Ahaz would not be the king that Israel needed. Unfortunately, Ahaz would reject the wisdom of God. He would forsake the counsel of God and he would seek after his own counsel. See, a counselor at this time was, was a position of the king's army. Position, a position within the kingdom. A counselor would advise the king on different, on different uh, strategies, on military, on government, on even his own personal life. And King Ahaz got these counselors that were following after these other gods. They were worshiping idols. They were not seeking the wisdom of God, but they were seeking wisdom that would give them more wealth, give them more, a better position, more notoriety. They were not seeking the wisdom of God, but they were seeking the wisdom of man. And this is the counsel that Ahaz seeks. Instead of, instead of hearing and listening to, the, to what he needed to hear, this message from Isaiah, trust in God. Instead of listening to what he needed to hear, he listened to what he wanted to hear. How can you trust, how can you trust a God that you can't even see? How's he going to protect you? I mean, these, it, Israel and Aram are, are coming for us. Like, they're, they're right up, they're, they're going to they're come into our streets. How is God going to protect us from that? No, we need help. We need, we need the strength of men. So through, because Ahaz listens to these other counselors, he goes into the temple of Yahweh. He goes into the house of God. And he strips out the gold. He takes out the, the precious material. And he sends it up to the king of Assyria. To the big dog. To the big powerhouse. And he tells him, I am your servant. The people who were intended to be the servants of Yahweh have now made themselves the servants of Assyria, the servants of the enemy. Because of this, God would judge Judah by taking away their counselors, by taking away their people of wisdom, by taking away their mighty men, by taking away their warriors and their strength. And the people of Judah would walk in darkness, the darkness that they sought after. Ahaz would not be the king that they needed. But through God's divine wisdom, through his wonderful grace, he would send them a king. He would send them a counselor that they needed. He would send them the one that he promised. As they read this, 
They didn't quite know that this was speaking of Jesus. They didn't quite know who this king would be. But as we look back, we see that Jesus was the king. That Jesus was the counselor. That Jesus was the one that was promised to them. We see that Jesus, that Jesus came to deliver us and establish the kingdom of heaven. That Jesus would be the king to step in and be the one that the people needed. Listen to this description of Jesus from the Apostle Paul as he reflects on the promise of God to send a Savior and the fulfillment that Jesus was of that. In Colossians 1.15, he says, He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus was the one who fulfilled this. These other kings would come along, and they wouldn't fulfill this. They, wouldn't, they would fail to bear the image of God. The children of Israel would fail in doing what they were called to do, and Jesus would fulfill it. Jesus Jesus fulfilled the promises of God. He manifested the presence of God. Paul said the Im- that Jesus was the image of the invisible God. That the fullness of who God is, the very presence of God, was pleased to dwell in Jesus. Jesus was Yahweh become man. He was God who became flesh. Jesus was God incarnate. We just sang of this love incarnate, love divine. The one who didn't want heaven without us came and brought heaven down to us and the person of Jesus. And Jesus fulfilled the promises of God to judge evil, to restore the oppressed, to restore his people. Jesus embodied the nature and the character of God. Jesus was the strong and mighty one. He was the strong and mighty God who created and sustains all things. Jesus restores us. He brings us into his family as a loving father. Jesus brings peace to the world by the blood of his cross, he brings peace to the world. These descriptions of a Messiah, these descriptions of one to come, found their fulfillment in Jesus. And Jesus would be the king who would defeat the enemy and reign forever. All the other kings of Israel were intended to be this. This was their intention. This was their purpose. This was God's intention of them. This was God's purpose of them. They were to lead the people into relationship with God and lead the people into representing God to the world. But they failed. Israel couldn't find a king who would completely fulfill this promise of God. So Jesus stepped in as the king. Jesus was the king that they they needed. Jesus establishes the kingdom of heaven where he reigns over all forever And he invites us to co-reign with him, to be the heirs of his kingdom. He wants to rule the world through us. So this story that we've been following, this story of Israel and of King Ahaz, this culmination of that story in Jesus, this story now continues with us, with you and with me. Will we follow the wisdom of Jesus. Will we see Jesus as the wonderful counselor? Will we trust in his wisdom? Will we trust in his strength? Or will we trust in humanities? Do we realize that Jesus is our wonderful counselor that was promised by God? As we look at our story, as we think about our search for wisdom, as we think about the, the amount of wisdom in this world, yet the true lack of wisdom in our own lives and the lives of those around us, we need to realize that Jesus is the wonderful counselor, that Jesus is full of all knowledge and wisdom. Paul would go on to say in Colossians, he, would, he, he wanted the people to know the knowledge of God's mystery, 
which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus embodies, he contains all of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. In the Old Testament, God was seen as as having this character trait called omniscience. God could see all things, and he knew all things, past, present, and future. He could see it all at once. He, He could see into the hearts of humanity. He could search into the very depths of who we are. And we see Jesus doing the same thing. Jesus contains that. Jesus possesses that. Jesus has all knowledge and all wisdom. He sees our hearts. He sees us. And he wants to counsel us into wisdom. He wants to to give us wisdom that, that, that that restores us to be as we were intended to be. Jesus is our miraculous counselor. If you remember, a counselor at this time was, was in, in, in the, they would have seen a counselor as a position in the kingdom, as a position of wisdom and advisory for the king. Jesus steps in, in the midst of all these other counselors and all these other wisdom that we face, and he says, I am the ultimate. I am the ultimate wisdom. I am the ultimate counselor. See, the reality is the counselors of these other gods of the gods of these other nations. The wisdom of man is the same thing we face today. It may take a different shape. It may look like a different form. But the very thing that was pulling Israel away from God is the very same thing that tempts us away from God, that pulls us away from the wisdom of God. And just as Paul wanted to remind these Colossians that Jesus is the great counselor, that Jesus is the miraculous counselor. So also he's showing us who Jesus is. You see, Jesus defeated the worldly wisdom and the counselors of the kingdom of darkness. Paul would go on in Colossians to talk about how these counselors, how these other wisdoms, how they were empty, they were void. Although they made these promises, although they sounded eloquent and beautiful, although they seemed helpful and beneficial for the people, they were empty. They would not fulfill the purpose of these Christians. They won't fulfill our purpose. They they any any wisdom or anything, any any counsel that tempts us to to go away from Jesus, that tempts us to not follow Jesus, is empty. And it leads us from our purpose. It leads us from the fullness of joy and life that we have in Jesus. These philosophies only lead us into darkness and into death. But Jesus is the ultimate counselor who fights, these, who fights these other counselors. He fights them on the cross. He allows them to overtake him. He allows, he allows the powers of evil and the powers of darkness, the weight of sin to overtake him as he, as he dies on the cross. But he rises again in victory. He trumps over all of these wisdoms, over all of these counselors. He rises again in triumph over them. So these counselors have no power over us. They have no hold on us. They have no strength on us. The wisdom that is speaking to you, that is trying to pull you away from your identity in Jesus, the the, the lies that you're here, that that are telling you that God doesn't care for you, that he doesn't love you, that you'll never fulfill your purpose, they have no power. They have no authority. They are meaningless. Jesus defeated those voices. He defeated that wisdom. They have no claim over us. Jesus gives us the victory over these other wisdoms, over these other counselors. And Jesus is the wisdom that leads to life. While these other wisdoms lead to death and darkness, Jesus leads to light and life. He brings us to life through the power of his resurrection. He gives us his spirit and dwell us with the presence of God to lead us and to guide us in wisdom and to enable us to fulfill our purpose of truly bearing the image of God. Jesus is the counselor that brings us purpose, meaning, joy, peace, provision, protection, life. He is our wonderful counselor. This message that was declared to the children of Israel, by Isaiah, is the same message that Paul reiterated that he spoke 
to the early church. And it's the same message that falls on our ears this morning. And this is our response to this message. Will we listen to the wisdom of God? Or will we listen to the wisdom of man? Will we continue the story of Ahaz? Will we seek our own counselors? Or will we see Jesus as the wonderful counselor and listen to him and follow him? As we close this morning, as we, as we apply, think of how this applies to us. What do we make sense of this? How do we make sense of this? What do we do with this information? What does the wisdom of Jesus lead us to? I want to just give us some reminders and ask some questions to examine ourselves. First of all, God's wisdom brings us into the light. God's wisdom exposes the darkness in us and calls us into the light of his holiness and his righteousness. So will we walk in the darkness of our sin or will we walk in the light of Jesus? Will we be like King Ahaz and only listen to the counsel that we want to hear or will we open our hearts to let God tell us what we need to hear? What sins, what, what, what self-righteousness, what shame is, is, is keeping us from stepping into the light and being restored to the image of God? What is keeping us in the dark? And will we let God expose that? Will we allow the light of God to shine into our hearts, to shine into our lives? And will we turn from those things? Will we turn from those sins? And be restored to the image of Jesus. Also, I want us to be reminded that God's wisdom is most concerned with who we are becoming. I think when we try to apply wisdom in our lives, when we try to search for wisdom, very often it's related with decisions that we have to make. And details of, of specifics in our lives And we want God to speak into that. We want God to give us wisdom. We want God to lead us in those ways. And be sure, be be sure that God cares about those decisions. God cares so much about the details of our lives. But what he's most concerned with is that you and I become like Jesus. When we seek God's will, when we seek God's wisdom, Are we just wanting information from him? Or are we seeking to become like him? This is what God's wisdom leads us to. It leads us to a desire to be restored to the image of God in Jesus. So if we're looking for answers to these details and we're not becoming like Jesus, we're not we're not seeking to become like Jesus. We're not following after Jesus. If we're wanting God to give us wisdom in this area over here, but we won't let him speak wisdom into this issue of our sin or this issue of our struggle or this area where we don't trust him, then we're missing the wisdom of God. We've walked straight past the wisdom of God and we've gone straight to the wisdom of man and we're expecting God just to give us these answers. And what God wants us to give us is purpose and life and meaning. He wants to restore us to our purpose of bearing his image. And the beautiful thing is that as we become like Jesus, it empowers us to make these other decisions in our lives. We find ourselves at this crossroad of a decision we have to make or, or a detail that we have to, to figure out. As we become like Jesus, we look at those opportunities as ways to point people to Jesus, to represent God to the world as we think about what neighborhood we should live in or what house we should buy, we, we, we see it in a way of how can I use this to serve people in this community? How can I use this house to bless people the way that God has blessed me? How can I use this space, how can I use it to disciple other people and represent God to them? 
When we go, when we go to make other decisions, when we go to buy a car, we, we, we see it as a way of, not as a way of, how can I look great? How can I boost my own ego? How can I boast in myself? How can this car benefit me? But how can I use this car for the glory of God? How can I make this decision in a way that even, even in the process of making the decision that I'm pointing people to Jesus, that I'm bearing the image of God, God's wisdom is most concerned with, we, with who we are becoming. So are we following after Jesus? And finally, God is counseling us through his word and his spirit. As we search for wisdom in this world, the beauty is God has already revealed that wisdom to us. God has not left us hopeless. He's not left us wandering without, without help, without guide, without aid. He's given us his very word. He's given us his wisdom. He's given us the ultimate wisdom, Jesus, the word, who we read about. We see his life. We see his death. We see his resurrection. We see what all of this means for us in his word. God is constantly speaking to us because he has given us his word. He's filled us with the Holy Spirit who leads us, who illuminates the word to us, who guides us in our lives and the decisions that we make, who guides us into becoming like Jesus. So the question we ask is what wisdom are we listening to? God has given us wisdom. God has given us the wisdom. Will we listen to that? Will we listen to the wisdom of God? Will we trust the strength and the wisdom of God? Or will we trust in the wisdom of man? What wisdom do we find ourselves listening to? Are we listening to the wisdom of the world around us? Are we hearing the counsel of the culture around us? Are we letting that shape us and speak to us? And as I say that, as we think about that, the wisdom of the world around us, we immediately go to, into the depths of sin and evil around us. We think about these, these people who are senselessly killing and taking lives and murdering people. We think about people who are feeling and, or feeling, stealing and thieving. A little bit of a lack of wisdom. Um, we, we think about people who are completely forsaking God's intent of sexuality. That's immediately where our mind goes. And yes, that is the wisdom of this world. Yes, that is the counsel of our culture. But I ask, how much of it are we listening to? Not in a way that we're pointing fingers and, and shaming and judging these other people, but if we would really look into our hearts, no, may, maybe we're not killing people. Hopefully not. But do we wish harm on others? When someone offends us, do we seek vengeance on them? When I watch the Cowboys game tonight, am I going to wish Jalen Hurts gets an injury? When someone cuts us off in traffic, do we hope they wreck? I typically go for the, I hope they get pulled over, the justice route. But either way, are we wishing harm on people? Maybe we're not stealing, maybe we're not thieving but maybe we're withholding something that someone needs. Maybe God is calling us to share something with someone else, a word, our time, a resource, and we're keeping it to ourselves. How, how do we view the people we come into contact with? Maybe we're not following, maybe, maybe we're not following in deed and in action the the culture's view of sexuality, but how do we view the men and women that we come into contact with every day? Do we view them as image bearers? How do we view ourselves? Do we see ourselves as image bearers of God? Or do we listen to the wisdom of this world? What about the wisdom of materialism? What about the wisdom that says, just accumulate and get more and more, and the more you have, the bigger house that you're able to build and store the more stuff that you have, the more fulfilled you'll be, the more purpose you'll have in your life. If, if you're thinking there's just this one thing, if I have this one thing or if I'm able to obtain this one thing or if I'm able to get this one thing, then I'll be fulfilled, then I'll be good, then I'll be satisfied. What wisdom 
are we listening to? See, the children of Israel found themselves in that same situation. They were building these big houses and these big lands, but they were living alone. What's the point? Are we seeking material? Are we seeking possessions in exchange for relationships with one another? In exchange with relationship to God? Are we listening to the wisdom of entertainment? What's the first thing we check when we wake up in the morning? If I can be honest with you, if I can be vulnerable with you, this is a wisdom that gets me all the time. I wake up in the morning, check the score of last night's games, check to see how my fantasy teams are doing, get on social media, see what everybody's up to, get on YouTube. We found ourselves in a culture that has just been lulled to sleep by entertainment. When we go to bed, what's the last thing we look at? Our phone, a game, TV. When we come home from from school or from work, where do we immediately go? Where do we seek refuge? Where do we seek comfort when we're hurting? What about when we have a moment of idle time? What do we reach for? Are we listening to the wisdom that tells us just to escape? Just get away. Don't think about your pain. Don't think about the suffering in the world around you. Just get away. Just escape it. Just entertain yourself. Are we listening to the wisdom of security and safety? Are we listening to the wisdom that says you can provide for yourself, you can take care of yourself? Are we trusting in our finances to do for us what God is promising to do for us? Are we relying on our own wisdom, our own strength, our own resources, our own abilities, our own talents, our own gifts to provide for us and keep us safe? Are we hoping that a certain side of the political spectrum gets in office because then we'll be safe, then we'll be good? If this president, if this person is president, then we're good. I'm okay, I'm safe. If this, if this party controls the Senate, I have no idea how this, how this works. I don't know government very well. But if this party wins, we're good. If this party wins, we're in trouble. Are we trusting in man to protect us the way God has promised to protect us? The way God has, has promised to provide for us? Now, I hope you don't mishear me. I'm not saying don't go, don't go buy things. <laughs> don't go get a nice house. Don't get on Netflix. I mean, I'm going to watch the Cowboys game tonight. I'm not, I'm not saying don't go watch the football. Don't go watch the Cowboys game. I'm not saying don't have social media. I'm not saying phones are evil. I'm not saying fi- finances and, and having a savings account is bad. I'm also not saying that you shouldn't get involved with politics, that you shouldn't be a part of change in your community. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying, are we listening to the wisdom that tells us that this is our purpose? That if we have this material, then we're, we're fulfilled, we'll be fulfilled. If we just escape this reality, if we just get away, that's all we need. That's gonna give us comfort. If we just have this money, or if, or if, this, if this is just right, just as it should be, then we will be safe and we will be protected. Are we listening to that wisdom? Or are we listening to the wisdom of God that leads us into light, that fulfills our purpose, that gives us meaning? What wisdom are we listening to? As we close, I just wanted to make this this closing practical for us. I think it's easy when we talk about wisdom, it's easy to talk philosophy of wisdom, it's easy to talk ideas and suggestions. That's that's easy. There's so much wisdom in the world. But when it comes to accessing this wisdom, that's different. How do we do that? How do we lay hold of this wisdom? 
we do this by silencing all the other wisdoms. By physically putting ourselves in a place where we're not distracted by the news, by the games, by our phones. We silence these other wisdoms in our lives. We open up the scriptures. We see the source of wisdom. We spend time in the presence of God, reading his word, praying, taking breaks from prayer to listen to the Holy Spirit. I guess it wouldn't be taking a break from prayer. I guess it'd be dialoguing. Anyway, we fast. We give up food and other distractions so that we can fully be present in the presence of God, listening to the Holy Spirit, following the counsel that he gives us. I want us to, as we close, I want us to practice this together. A verse from one of my favorite hymns, Be Thou My Vision, says, Be thou my wisdom. Be thou my true word. I ever with thee and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, and I thy true Son. Thou in me dwelling, and I with thee one. This is at the heart of wisdom. Forsaking all other wisdoms. Remembering that Jesus gives us the presence of God. And resting in his wisdom. Before we sing this closing song, I want us just to take a few minutes and just sit and listen. As God exposes any sin in our hearts, any any self-righteousness, to bring that to the light. As God exposes any wisdoms that you've been listening to, to repent of those. To turn those over to him. To listen to him right here. Right now where we are after this time of reflection and meditation and listening, we're going to have some, uh, some people at the front, some wise counselors. If you need to be prayed for or prayed with, they'll be there to pray with you and to, and to guide you and to lead you. But this is our response. Father, we love you and we thank you for Jesus, the wonderful counselor the one who bore your image perfectly, the one who fulfilled the promises, the one who brings us your presence. Right now, may we just sit and bask in your wisdom, bask in your presence. May you expose the sin in our hearts. May you expose the wisdom that we listen to. you speak to us. May you guide us and give us wisdom right now.